A reading from the book of Ruth. Naomi had a prominent kinsman named Boaz of the clan of her husband Elimelech. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go and glean ears of grain in the field of anyone who will allow me that favor. Naomi said to her, go my daughter, and she went. The field she entered to glean after the harvesters happened to be the section belonging to Boaz of the clan of Elimelech. Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in anyone else's field. You are not to leave here. Stay here with my women servants. Watch to see which field is to be harvested and follow them. I have commanded the young men to do you no harm. When you are thirsty, you may go and drink from the vessels the young men have filled. Casting herself prostrate upon the ground, Ruth said to him, Why should I, a foreigner, be favored with your notice? Boaz answered her, I have had a complete account of what you have done for your mother-in-law after your husband's death. You have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know previously. Boaz took Ruth when they came together as man and wife. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not failed to provide you today with an heir. May he become famous in Israel. He will be your comfort and the support of your old age. For his mother is the daughter-in-law, the daughter-in-law who loves you. She is worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him his name at the news that a grandson had been born to Naomi. They called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verbum Domini. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. For you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home. Your children like olive plants around your table. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life.
one Father in heaven. You have but one Master, the Christ. Dominus vobiscum, et cum spiritu tuo, Lectio Sancti Evangelii secundo Matteum, Gloria tibi Domine. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do not observe, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation rabbi. But as for you, do not be called rabbi. You have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verbum Domini. Very warm welcome to those who have come from far and near to EWTN. And thank you for all of your support of EWTN and the network and our mission. And we look forward to meeting some of you today at the EWTN family celebration and actually hearing your own stories and shaking your own hands and all that other good stuff. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility. It's sometimes perhaps a very misunderstood word. Yet humility is an essential ingredient, if you will, to the Christian life. There's all kinds of people in heaven. The rich, the poor, the blind, the lame, all kinds of people from every walk of life. But there are no people in heaven who are prideful. That has to be burned off in purgatory. 
anything that is not of God. But heaven is only full of humble people. Eternal life is simply not possible without humility. When it comes down to it, humility conquers pride. It's what roots out pride. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, succumbed to pride. Their sin of pride came before the fall. It did not obey the Lord's command. Simply, they wanted to be equal to God. They wanted to know what God knew, his knowledge. They became self-absorbed, and pride is the root of all sin. Ultimately, pride is spiritual death. Spiritual death is worse than bodily death. If we are honest with ourselves and examine our lives before Almighty God, there have been times when we have let pride reign in our lives, let pride rule our lives. And pride is thinking about ourselves and our own needs before others, always seeking the place of honor. Ultimately, pride is placing ourselves at the center of our own self-made world. I always like to envision just our own heart and a throne at the very center of your life, the center of your heart. The heart is always in the scriptures, a place of where everything flows from, all of our actions, all of our words, all of our deeds. But who's sitting on that throne? It should be God, not ourselves. And that's a surrendering. That's a total surrender to God. And that's hard throughout our lives. We all go through many times in life, many kind of seasons in life. But that virtue, humility, involves surrendering. It's a daily learning and a daily surrendering over to the God who has made us, the God who has created us. If you want a picture of what pride looks like, imagine someone walking around with you with a mirror 24-7 and just looking at yourself. Nothing against mirrors, but just looking at yourself constantly. Too much examination of oneself. There's nothing wrong with examination of conscience, but sometimes looking at self, oneself too much is not a good thing. We need to look at the Lord. Fulton Sheen once said that you can't really love humility. You can only love a person. You can only love that which you can get your arms around. Humility is like an abstraction, like a math equation, two plus two equals four. But when we love Jesus, when we look to a person, then we become humble like the person. Does that make sense? So when we look at, toward Jesus, then we become more humble like him. Pride is turning inward on self, 
C.S. Lewis once said, a, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see that which is above you. And how true this is. We're always looking at ourselves and our own needs. We lose sight of what is right in front of us, reality. Reality is sometimes hard for us to take. And pride keeps us from accepting reality and the truth about ourselves. The truth about our own limitations even. And our own weaknesses. Every vice has a virtue that counters it. In this case of pride, the virtue that must be practiced is humility. Humility of heart. Again, looking at Jesus. Not looking at oneself, but turning toward the Lord in all things. Humility is truth. The truth about God. The truth about yourself. Never be afraid of yourself. When we look at God, when we look toward God always, there may be things in our life that we don't want to face, but we can always face them with God. We don't face them alone by ourselves. But when we look toward God, that is true humility. And we don't have to be afraid of facing even our own weaknesses, our own sins, failings. A humble person knows that they are not perfect and happily accepts it. Happily. A humble person does not put on a mask or a facade to appear good or in front of others. Having humility is a recognition that there is a God and we are not him. That God is God and that he is the source of all things. He is the source of your life and he is the summit of your life. Source meaning the center, the summit meaning the high place. And guess what? God comes down from the high place of heaven to meet you. He comes down from the heights. He comes down from all eternity. God humbles himself. We don't learn humility apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. In the true faith, looking toward Jesus, everything about the Christian faith from the incarnation, from the life of Christ to the crucifixion of our Lord, and most especially the way that he humbles himself here on the altar daily, this is where we learn humility. So in a sense, we can always learn it. We can always come back to learning humility. We never quite are humble enough. We never can get low enough. God gets lower than anybody. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Catch that little point? 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And if we think of ourselves less, we have to fill up that void. And who is it that we turn to? The Lord, Jesus. We look to Jesus. We don't think about ourselves too much. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We look to him. We look to Jesus to learn what it means to be meek and humble of heart. St. Therese of the Child Jesus said, the practice of humility consists not only in thinking and saying that you are full of faults, but rejoicing because others think and say the same about you. That's hard. That is hard. Consists not in thinking and saying you are full of faults, and we all do that. I'm so full of faults. I'm so weak. But rejoicing in the fact that other people see within you and say the same thing about you. <laughs> How hard is that? We always want to, when people start attacking us for our faults, immediately we want to we revenge, slap them down. Who do you think you are? You're you see how you act? No, we always turn it toward the other person, but Therese gives us a good insight. A humble person really rejoices in the fact that they are full of faults. And she says, God wants humility of heart, and if we are stronger, we would not need his help. But when he sees us that we are convinced of our nothingness and appeal to him, he stoops toward us and lifts us up with divine generosity. This is the humility of God. This is the God who comes down from eternity, who takes flesh in order to lift us up. How many times did Jesus fall on the way to Calvary? The scriptures say three. And in falling, Jesus gets up, and he continues his way to the cross. Whenever you fall, whenever you have temptations in life or weaknesses in life or just the trials of life, right, getting older, dealing with frailty and human nature, Think that Jesus himself came to enter into that area of your life too. That area of weakness, that area of brokenness, that area of pain, in order to transform it and lift it up. Again, looking at Jesus, that's how we become truly humble. That's how we are truly exalted. Again, there are all kinds of people in heaven, rich and poor, from every race, tribe, and nation, every class you can think of, kings, queens, the sick, examples of saints who, St. Saint 
Benedict Joseph Labore, who had even mental problems, canonized a saint. All kinds of people in heaven, but only the humble will be in heaven. That's something for us to strive after. It's something hard to strive after. That every single day to ask the Lord that we might be with him forever in heaven. But this requires looking at him, recognizing even our weaknesses, and even rejoicing in our weaknesses.